this Friday night, as part of our prayer series that we're doing, we're going to do a night of prayer and worship. It's a, it's a focused time to see maybe what God has been doing in our hearts and where he's leading us. And it's going to go from 6 to 8 p.m. The first section will be open for kids to be in, and then they can kind of go to their classes. But 6 to 8 p.m. this Friday night, put on your calendar, uh, show up. And, you, and if you're in the middle of it and you're like, oh, I've got to go to this, that's fine. Come for a part of it. But just, you know, kind of let's worship God together corporately and see what he is doing. All right. Now, uh, I am not feeling well. I am sick. Uh, some of you uh, this morning were like, hi. And I'm like, I am not coming near you. I'm not shaking your hand. I, I could have RSV. I could have something else. Uh, some of the nurses in the hospital have RSV. My wife's telling me about it. The one thing I know I don't have is the COVID. But I got whatever this is. <laughs> Yay. Anyway. Uh, and I got it, I think, when we were leaving. So my wife and I have been gone the last couple weeks, if, if you haven't noticed. Steve has done a great job, so you probably haven't noticed. But uh, we've been gone the last couple weeks. It was our 30th wedding anniversary. My wife has always wanted to go to Machu Picchu. Now, I don't like heat, and I don't like bugs, and I don't like hiking, but I like her. Uh, <laughs> so... I take her to this place she's always wanted to go. So here's a picture of Machu Picchu. All right. Um, I don't know why there's two pictures in there, but whatever. There's the picture of Machu Picchu. Now, just to prove that I didn't just take a picture that we were there, here's a picture of us there. I think. Oh. What's the double picture thing? That's weird. Anyway, well, I don't mean for the other picture to cover her face that's in it, but yeah. <laughs> Oh, there you go. There you go. There's us, that Machu Picchu. So that's, that's where we were the last couple of weeks. Um, our, they give you guides when you're in country, and, and it's great. But the guide, the day we left, we had him a couple days. And the day we left, he was wearing a mask. And I look at my wife, and I go, oh, no. Oh, no. You know, we're flying back, and I'm like, I start feeling sick. And I'm going, that guide. It's all his fault. It's all his fault. Hey, welcome to Element if you are new. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Hopefully, I'll even be slower today since I do feel a little lethargic. Um, we don't have sermon notes on the communion tables. What we have are these prayer journals. And these prayer journals, they cover 13 weeks of messages. Uh, this is week seven, and it's going to go all the way to the beginning of the year. And so if you want sermon notes, the, the recaps are going to be in these. But what is not in there is a place for you to take notes. And that is why we also have these element prayer journals. And if you would like to journal out your prayers during this series or what God is doing or how he's leading you, you can do that in here. And you can also take sermon notes in these as well. Those are all on the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on more and then events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device. And you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word. Nice and short. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.17, and it says, pray without ceasing. And I'm going to pray, say amen, then I'm going to cease praying, and we'll talk about what that means. Uh, Father, thank you so much for being a God who is with us. No matter where we are, no matter how we feel, no matter what condition we are in, you have promised to be with us, and you are good to that promise. And I ask that throughout the midst of this entire prayer series, and especially today, you would show us what that means, that you are walking 
with us and that every moment of our day can be spent in communion with you, that there is not mundane and spiritual. There is one life that we live, and it is a life that is lived with you. Teach us today to make it a reality. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series, as I said, taking us all the way up past Christmas on prayer. And again, when some people hear prayer, they think, oh my goodness, I can't pray out loud. There's so much anxiety around it. And what we're really hoping by the end of this series is that that anxiety starts to dissipate a bit and you have a desire to want to pray. We want to refocus our hearts and our lives where they should be first and foremost, which is upon God himself. And so we have been defining prayer throughout this series as a continuing conversation that God has started through his word and provided by his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. That God is the one who has to reveal himself. That we don't go on a vision quest to figure out who God is. That God must reveal himself. And then when he does, that is grace. And we can know him better because of his own self-revelation. And in knowing him, our relationship with him can deepen. We get to live in relationship with God because of what he has first done with us. And so what we've done throughout this series so far in those first six weeks is the first two weeks were kind of theological. We talked about what prayer is and what prayer is not. But then the following four weeks, I think, have been very practical. When we talk about our unanswered prayer, we talk about what real prayer starts to look like. Steve talks about the Lord's Prayer, really, the disciples' prayer. He talks about the Acts form of prayer, which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I thought last week was excellent. It was so practical. And I was even sick on my couch going, oh, this is so good. (laughs) It was so good. And today I want to be practical as well coming out of that as we talk about unceasing prayer. Because sometimes we think God is not listening, but I will tell you, he is always listening. In the book of Revelation, and I know we come out of Halloween and Revelation sounds all spooky and scary, but in Revelation chapter 8, if you want to turn there, I say it's not spooky, but if you're in the Element Bible, it's page 666. Yeah. Um, Anyway, but... Revelation chapter 8 speaks about, and I didn't pick it for that at all, it just happened to be there. It describes this scene in heaven where these seals are being opened. And the seals essentially tell the story of human sin and rebellion and violence and and God's judgment. And this amazing thing happens. Revelation chapter 8 verse 1 says this, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So this angel comes when the seal is opened and there is this incense and the incense symbolizes the prayers of the saints on earth. And verse 4 it says this, The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God. God from the angel's hand. Now, after this point, there's going to come thunder and lightning and earthquakes. But what's really interesting is that these are in response to the prayers of the saints. And sometimes people will think that prayer is not such a big deal. And while it's true that God is sovereign, God's going to do what he is going to do, there's a strange dichotomy where the songs of the angels, they cease so that these prayers can rise before the Father. Not that God couldn't hear those things otherwise, but it's meant to be a picture that our prayers matter. 
and our prayers are heard. Now, it's the gospel that makes this possible. Jesus is bringing us back into relationship with God the Father. But God wants to hear from his people. God wants to enter into relationship with us. And this is why I talked to you that third week, the whole thing about unanswered prayer. Sometimes people feel like, well, why do I pray? It's not going to change anything. God's going to do what he's going to do. The whole point of prayer is not to get God to change his mind or to give you things. The whole point of prayer is to be in relationship with the living God who has loved us and who has saved us. Now, prayer is built around a lot of verses in the Bible, but I thought again to help us today to understand what prayer is and what we're talking about is to give you a verse to memorize. It's the one I had you stand for. It's very easy. Hope you're very excited about it. I think we put it on the screen. You don't look excited, but you really should when I'm going to make you memorize a verse here. So do we have that, 1 Thessalonians 5.17? Okay, okay. So the address, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the verse, pray without ceasing. All right, ready? Now I'm going to have you do it. What's the address? Put it back up there. What are you doing? There you go. All right, all right. And what's the verse? Okay, now for the hard part. Now take it off the screen. Here you go. Try it again. What's the address? What's the verse? Oh, you guys are amazing. So good. So good. Now, the harder part is how do we actually begin to do that? How do we do that in our lives? And this is a verse that people talk about. You'll go to seminars or conferences and, and they'll bring it up. But what does it mean? If it's unceasing, how am I even talking to you right now? How, uh, how do you ever eat or sleep or do anything if it's unceasing prayer? One of the dangers in spiritual life is assuming we know what the Bible is saying when sometimes we don't know what it's saying. This is why we did that whole summer series called Never Read a Bible Verse because what do we think that Paul actually meant when he wrote that verse? Is it something that just sounds kind of spiritual? Is there a way to actually do that? This is why an understanding of prayer becomes so important, because prayer is linked to this deep theological truth about God, and this is what we call the doctrine of God's omnipresence, that God sees all of history as a completed event. God is just as much here now as he is a thousand years from now, as he is a thousand years ago, which means God is with you in this place place right here, right now. Sky Jathani wrote this book called, What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer? And he goes and he goes to the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about how Christian prayer is unique because of the relational aspect to it. Jesus, when he models that prayer to his disciples, it's a prayer that isn't an attempt to make God do what you want him to do. What it is, it's a prayer that's based in relationship with him, with God as Father, communing with him. That is in stark contrast with how the pagans saw prayer. The pagans would just say words over and over and over, and they'd cut themselves and do all these things to make the gods notice them and give them what they wanted. And Jesus says, you don't need to do any of that because God is a Father, Christian prayer is not about trying to get something from God. It is about stepping into relationship with God. That's what Jesus models, that we are with God. We can live our lives with him, and that's the ultimate goal. Okay. In the context of our relational connection with who God is, of course you are going to have requests. Of course you're going to have desires. We are finite beings. 
But God is good, and God will say yes, no, or he will say wait. Asking God for things is not meant to be the centerpiece of prayer. It's meant to be a peripheral element. Many people will think prayer and how you get things from God is you have to say things the right way and do the right things. Well, that's voodoo. In this book, Jathani says, prayer is ultimately about communing with the God of the universe who loves us and saves us. And that means that that can happen anytime, anyplace, because God is omnipresent. Unceasing prayer is how we do our life with God every single day. I told you before, if you've been here a while, when my wife and I got married, I I was a California boy. I was born and raised in California. She was born and raised in New Hampshire, went to school in Wisconsin, to the securitist route and got to California and we got married. Three months after we got married, we moved to Iowa. She's like, I don't know if you're going to like Iowa, but I would just like, I'm married. I want to man up. I want to take care of my wife. I got it. So I took this job in Iowa. And the question is, is God in Iowa? Like, he's omnipresent. Really? Is he really in Iowa? I have good news for you. God is in Iowa. All right. He's not happy about it. <laughs> but he's in Iowa. Yeah. Now, what you have to understand is that part of the, what the book of Genesis does, it, it, it is reinforcing to these people that God is omnipresent, that God is wherever they are going, wherever he's calling them to, God is already there. There wouldn't be there if God wasn't already there. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it Genesis chapter 28. If you have an element Bible, that's page 15. It's right in the beginning. So a great example of what this looks like is a guy named Jacob. And God makes a promise to this guy named Abraham. Abraham is Jacob's grandfather. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the world. You're going to have a son that leads to a son that leads to a son, eventually leads to my son, Jesus. I'm going to give you land and a people, and you will bless. I will bless the world because of what I do through you. God reiterates that promise to Abraham's son, Isaac. And God reiterates that promise to Isaac's son, Jacob but Jacob is the second born. He's not the first born. But Jacob is a guy, when he is young, he has never sought God. He's never trusted God, never wanted really anything to do with God. But he does want the firstborn blessing. So what he does, instead of trusting God, he goes and tricks his older brother, who is much stronger, much more manly, much hairier. And when this happens, his older brother wants to kill Jacob. And so Jacob runs away, like only heroes of the faith in the Bible can do. He runs away, just like Moses, just like David happens over and over, he runs away. Now, there's kind of a question in that. When Jacob runs away, is God going to be where Jacob is running to? Is God going to be in that place? Ultimately, this is a story about God's grace. Jacob has in no way ever earned God's presence. And when these words in Genesis are being written, nobody in the world is thinking about an all-present universal God. And so this is why God has to reveal himself through his word by his grace, or we would never know who he is. So this is what happens. Genesis 28, verse 15. Jacob is running away. He gets to a place at night, and this is what happens. It says, taken one of those stones of that place, he put it under his head. This can also be understood as around his head, like no one wants to sleep on a rock. They put it around their head, so if someone attacks you at night, they hit a rock and not your head. And lay down in that place. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. This can also be understood as that ladder came down from heaven to reach the earth. And behold, the angels were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Jump to verse 15. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. Now, if you blink, you're going to miss it. But that is the first place in the Bible that that promise is spoken by God. I 
am with you. That promise will be spoken over and over and over again, but that's the first place. And it occurs here, and there's a ladder. If you have an NIV, NIV will see you a stairway to heaven for you Zeppelin fans. Uh, the ladder is coming from up there to down here. Jacob sees this angel, there, or this vision. There's these angels ascending and descending on this ladder. Uh, commentators will tell you in the ancient world, they thought that angels were in charge of certain territories. And this could be his idea of angels going off duty over here when he's running over here and coming on duty as he gets to this area. But what you see over it all is this transcendent holy God that no matter where Jacob goes, God is already there. And God says, I am the Lord. I'm the God of your father, Abraham, of Isaac, and I will go with you. And in Jacob's metaphor for his life, God is a God with the ladder. There's nowhere he can go that God is not. And this is a story that we don't have to do special things or go to special places to be with God. This is a God who is with us in the ordinary places of our lives. And so Jacob, he will take this stone and he will name this place Beth-El. That means the house of God. El is uh, short for the Hebrew word for God, which is Elohim. Beth is a word for house, so the house of God. It is God is dwelling with us. Interesting to note with Christmas around the corner, when Jesus comes, he is known as Emmanuel or God with us. Really, it's technically the with us God. Jacob will one day be renamed Israel. El. It's being said that any place in our lives can be Beth El. This moment right now in this place with me speaking to you, it can be Beth El. And that's what I want you to get today. As we walk through the idea of unceasing prayer, understanding anywhere and everywhere can be life with God. When, our, when we have surrendered to Him, when He has saved us by the grace and the goodness of the gospel. And so I want to talk about how that's a reality, that we can be in relationship with Him. You don't have to be a, a monk or a hermit or go live on a mountaintop somewhere where nobody else is. This is for ordinary people living ordinary ordinary lives every single day. You don't have to do anything heroic. Being with God does not mean doing things you don't normally do, unless you're selling drugs. Stop that. But you, mostly what you're doing ordinarily, just with a different focus in a different way. So I only have a couple points in this today. The first one is this. What should you pray about in unceasing prayer? What should you pray about? And the answer to that is everything. You're like, okay, great. That didn't help me at all. What does that actually mean? Well, this means that prayers can be extremely simple, really simple. So what do you think about? You might think, well, you don't want to know what I think about. Okay, we'll tell you what. God already knows what you think about, right? No matter what you want to do and hide, oh, I can't believe I thought that. Well, he knows. He knows about that. My thoughts are so unspiritual. Right, you're mostly right. What do our minds drift towards all the time? I think it depends on your age. When you're younger, it could be school, grades, boys, girls, mowing the lawn, and a whole lot of other stuff. You get, you get a little bit older, what is it? It could be your job, boys, girls, mowing the lawn, whatever. <laughs> you, you, you retire, you know, and what do you think about boys, girls, who's going to mow my lawn? <laughs> Or how do I get those people out? Get off my lawn! Or, you know, that, that kind of thing. Sometimes we think these things are so trivial. And we think, I should just be praying about world peace and missionaries and how to evangelize at work, which none of those are bad things at all. But there seems to be this gap between what we're thinking about and then what we're praying about. And so sometimes we start to get bored or off topic. One writer calls 
praying unceasingly, it's a simple, simple prayer. Simple prayers are moving the gap between what you're thinking about and what you're talking to God about. In the book Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster says we should pray about what's on our hearts. He writes this, we bring ourselves before God just as we are, warts and all. Like children before a loving father, we open our hearts and make our requests. We do not try to sort out the good from the bad. We tell God, for example, how frustrated we are with the coworker at the office or the neighbor down the street. We ask for food, favorable weather, and good health. We can do that. These are mundane things, part of our lives, but they should also be part of our life with God. You may think that offering God trivial prayers like this seems dumb, but I will tell you, nothing kills prayer faster than trying to pretend that you are more noble than you are, because I will tell you, we are not that noble. We just are not. Dallas Willard reminds us, he says, prayers simply dies from efforts to pray about good things that honestly do not matter to us. The way to get to meaningful prayer for those good things is to start by praying for what we are truly interested in. The circles of our interests will inevitably grow to the largeness of God's love. Many people have found prayer impossible because they thought they should only pray for wonderful but remote needs they actually had little or no interest in or even knowledge of. It's not that world peace or missionaries are unimportant. Maybe they just don't occupy the place in your heart that they should yet. And so you learn to pray simply, and it leads us to start to care about larger issues. If you read the Bible, you will see this simple type of prayer, this unceasing prayer about all of our days, is really the most common type. In the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say? Give us this day our daily bread. How mundane and normal is that? It looks amazingly non-spiritual. And yet it is. C.S. Lewis says, in prayer we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. And when you read through the Bible, you will see all of these things, these people talking to God. Sometimes it seems like in ways that seem, you know, not very nice, but they're just talking about what's on their hearts. A lot of people like to make fun of this guy named Gideon. And Gideon was a guy who God says, I'm going to use you as a mighty warrior to save my people. You're going to go do these things. And Gideon's like, Okay, and he's kind of worried about it, and he says, if this is really you, um, how about I take this fleece and I lay it out, and if all the ground around it is wet, but the fleece is dry, then I'll know it's you. And so God does it, and he goes, okay, okay, that might have been a fluke. How about if you make the fleece wet and everything around it dry, and God does it? And a lot of people make fun of Gideon for his lack of faith. I think Gideon's just kind of praying what's on his heart. He's like, God, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. And so could you do this? And God begins to do those things for him. In Numbers 11, verses 11 and 12, Moses, the great man of faith, writes the first five books of the Bible, complains to God about his job. You can do that. You can do that. And guess who gave Moses his job? God, yeah, this is what he says. Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land that you promised on oath to their forefathers? He complains about his job. Second Kings chapter 2, Elijah complains to God because some kids are making fun of his bald head. Some of you can do that, okay? <laughs> 
This is real life, daily life with God, the normal things that come from a place of honesty we talk to him about. I drive down the road a lot of times, and I'll be talking to God about everything, singing along with a song, critiquing a podcast. If you've ever driven by me and you've waved at me and I haven't noticed you, it is not your fault. I'm a horrible driver. I pay attention to nothing, and it's not you. It's me. So I, I, I thank God for green lights. I complain about red lights. Uh, I, I talk to him about whatever comes into my head. I don't know if he appreciates it all. Okay? But, but if you're normal, your mind is going to wander when you pray. And what does your mind wander to? Well, if something keeps coming up, then you should talk to God about that because it must be important to you if your mind keeps going there. That's simple prayer, being aware of what is actually going on in our heads. Sometimes I start to pray, and I think about how sometimes I feel like a failure a lot of times. There are, there are certain things that take place at Element, and I always feel like I have to have the answers and have a vision for everything, and, and I don't, but I feel like I have to do or play it off like I do or something like that, and sometimes people leave, and I start to spiral and think about these things, and all of a sudden I'm not praying. I'm just thinking about these things, and I'm not really going to God with those things. I'm just running around in my own head. Sometimes I'll watch a a kung fu movie or John Wick, and I'll be like, man, I wish I was in better shape in new kung fu. I'll I'll watch a Marvel movie and go, why can't I get bit by a radioactive spider? That would be awesome. Why can't I go back in time and when Bitcoin first came out and bought a whole bunch of them? Why can't I do that? And I start to think about these things, and really, you know what I need to start to do? As I think about it, I should start praying about those things. Why do I feel the need that I have to have the answer to everything when God is the ultimate one who brings the answer in the gospel to everything? Why do I feel the need to know know Kung Fu and beat people up? Element drives me to it. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) why, Why do I feel the need to be important? Why do I feel I need to do over when I would not be who I am today if I hadn't made those decisions or gone through the things that I have. And when I start to talk to God about those things, he starts to remind me, he made me, he loves me, he wants to restore me. When we deal with with God like this, we begin maybe to not to see all the wanderings of our minds as barriers to prayer. They can become stepping stones to prayer, to true intimacy with God. We become aware of what is going on in us so we can talk to God about it. See how practical that can be when we start to look at everything we think about and go through as bringing that before God. And I think that will make prayer more real and make prayer more lively. So then when should you pray? And this goes to the unceasing part, the unceasing part. Uh, If we're living life with God, technically every moment, whether we are talking to him or not, is unceasing relationship with him. This is the whole point of what Jathani writes about in his book. And so if you're like, how do I do unceasing prayer? Just take a breath and relax a little bit. There are stories in the gospel accounts where Jesus retreats by himself to a wilderness type place, like on a mountain, and he will pray to the Father. And there are other times where he'll come down off of that mountain and he will engage in active ministry where he is preaching and teaching and healing. Is Jesus in in communion with the Father any less when he's engaged in active ministry versus when he's alone on top of a mountain? And the answer is no, no. It's evident in the scriptures that he's communing with the Father all the time. The difference is sometimes external activities let up or he took a break from them so he could be solely focused on communion with God. When he engages in active ministry, his external activities increase, but he's still in communion with the Father. And hope that that makes sense for you. 
every moment of every day, no matter what we do, can be in communion with the Father. And so when Paul says you should pray without ceasing, it's not hyperbole. It's the understanding that we are to pray or abide in the presence of God, be aware of that continually, even through the activities of our day. So what does that look like? Well, it can look like your life. Yes, it can look like reading your Bible or a Bible study or solitude or silence or preaching or giving a message, but it can also look like hanging out with your friends. It can look like gardening or driving in your car or working in the office. We can be in communion with God in all of our activities during the day. What we kind of need to do is come to the place where we are more aware of Him in every moment. Prayer just doesn't look like being on your knees with your, with your head bowed. Being in communion with God means it should permeate every moment of all that we do. And there are times that are easier to focus on God. Uh, if you look at Jesus, it was typically in the morning for Him. He liked going out in the morning. Maybe you're not a morning person. Maybe you're an evening person. But where and when should you pray? That can be anywhere. It really can be anywhere. There's no rules around it. Sometimes it's good to have a very focused set where you get rid of all the distractions around you. Uh, but there are a lot of people who talk about introducing small disciplines into your life to remind you of God in different moments. Maybe you're at work and things get really stressed and you don't know what to do. Well, you know what you can always do is go to the bathroom. No one says, oh, you can't go to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom, shut a stall door, take a second, pray to God, maybe read the Bible or some other thing that kind of resets and focuses you so you understand that He is with you even in that stressful moment. And then go back and start to engage. You know, the, the Celtic people had little prayers they would do for ordinary activities throughout the day that would just start to remind them that God was with them in those moments. They pray, had a prayer for washing the dishes, had a prayer for folding clothing. I am terrible at that. I guess the prayer would be, God, help me to know how to fold clothes because I don't know how to do it at all. They had a prayer for eating meals. And those small disciplines would start to remind them of God's presence in everything that they did. I think if we are a people who can begin to practice that kind of intentionality, we're going to stop segregating our lives into spiritual and, and earthly activities. We'll realize that all of our life comes together, and we'll be more aware of God's presence all the time. Can you imagine that just one day, just out of the blue going, man, I am just more aware of God's presence all the time because we are intentionally looking forward to what God is doing. Now, I know a lot of us grow up and we hear when you pray, you know, bow your heads, close your eyes, fold your hands. That, not that there's anything wrong with that, and that, not that that can't be important, but the core focus of prayer should be a desire for God himself. And based on our personalities and how we're wired, our life circumstances, we might discover that there are different ways that we pray that actually bring a deeper relationship with God. Some people love walking and praying. It's like you walk and all of a sudden your, their minds are like, this is great, I can keep focused on God. Some people it is, get rid of all the distractions. Some people it's driving in the car. Some people it's listening to music. I don't know. I feel like the louder the music is, the worse I drive. So I don't know how that works for some of you, but some of you are like that. So there are some ways that God has wired us to be able to talk to Him in certain ways better. So kind of start to figure out what those are. And hopefully we all as a people mature and grow in our faith. And we will, you know, as Jesus says, pray without ceasing. And we'll discover that going throughout our days, we can have an awareness of God just like Jesus did, that there will be his presence in every single moment and everything that we do unceasing. 
And it's never like you're going to graduate, like from, I graduated from this form of prayer, now I'm into, into this form of prayer. What you want to do is always add these multiple manifestations in multiple forms. This is why we do this thing on Friday night, this, this night of worship. It's a way of maybe adding a different multifaceted thing on top of maybe what you already know. Because we always want to move, you know, from all these different ways, building and praying to this multifaceted, mature vision of what prayer and communion with God can look like as it keeps growing as we get older and more mature in our faith. As I hope this can be really practical for you. Again, this is why it always goes back to God revealing himself to us first in his word by his grace, because we would never figure out who he is on our own. And this is why we read through the scriptures to see who he is. And so what can you start to pray about? Like, I don't know what to pray about. One, pray about what you're thinking about. I don't know what to pray about. Pray about that. God, I don't know what to pray about. Boom, now you're praying and you don't even know what to pray about. You got it, you're right there. You can pray about uh, our city. You pray about element. You pray about knowing God better every day. Ephesians 6.18, which we'll talk about next week. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. How about that? Pray for me. I'll pray for you. We'll pray for each other. Do you have someone in your life that drives you nuts that you can't get along with? You feel like there's a little schism between you and them, like a relationship has started to deteriorate? Do you pray for them? And not God spoil their milk and cut their brake lines. But, you know, you pray like good things for them in, in their lives that the relationship would begin to restore. What do I want my relationship to restore? Well, God, can you do a work in my life so I want the relationship to begin to restore? We pray. We pray. We talk to God about everything that is going on. And guys, don't get discouraged because sometimes people feel like, I've been praying for years and I'm still not really good at it. Thomas Merton in his book, Contemplative Prayer, says this, we do not want to be beginners, but let us be convinced of the fact that we will never be anything else but beginners all our life. Because we are talking to the all-present God of the universe. And guys, we are always going to be children compared to his majesty, but our God is a father and he wants to hear us. He wants us to talk with him. And I will tell you throughout the course of your life, you will never know how many people have been healed or strengthened or brought to Christ because of your prayers. You're never going to know that this side of eternity. But we are a people who are called to continue to pray, to continue to trust God, to continue to trust that, that he is good. And every little thing that we go through, we get to talk to him about. You might think that it is mundane. You might think that it is not important to God, whatever, but it is important because God wants to grow us and take everything that we go through to grow us closer to him. As I said, what makes relationship with God in this way possible is the gospel. It is what Christ has done. It is God doesn't want to talk to you because you think you're so great and so eloquent. God wants to talk to us because he loves us and has brought us to himself in his son. This is one of the reasons why every week at Element, we continually bring you back to this place of communion. I'm going to step a couple of feet back from that, by the way. Um, we come to this place of communion. Because communion is a place where we remember what God did to rescue us, to bring us to himself. This is why we break a cracker. It's a reminder of Christ's body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of his blood that was shed for you and me because we are a people who had run from God. We rebelled against him. We didn't want relationship with him, but God deemed to have relationship with us. So he did what we needed to come back and be in relationship with him himself. And so Christ goes to the cross 
and he dies for us, for our sin, for what separates us from God and us from one another. And he rises from the grave to bring us back to new life. And we now get to be in relationship with God again. And what that means is God wants relationship with us. He comes in the person of Christ to die to make that possible. And that should humble us. And it should make us come to a place where we realize all that God has done to bring us to himself. So we should then be a people who start to speak to him, to grow into these places of maturity, to see all of our lives as simply being in the hands of our great God who loves us and has saved us. And so this morning, I invite you to take communion. If you would like prayer, Maybe you're someone who's like, I really want to learn how to pray to God, to be excited about him every single day, and yet I'm still having a hard time. And you want someone to pray with you, right across the way there's a lounge, and there'll be a couple people in there willing to pray with you. If you have questions about this morning's message, they would love to be able to answer those questions for you as well. And if they can't, they'll come and grab me, and I'll stand about six feet away, and I'll help you whatever you need to know. Uh, But they would love to pray with you. we have offering boxes next to all the doors. We, we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. At Element, we keep telling you this, that we never pass a plate. Our giving is always a response to what God has done in his great gift to us in the gospel. And I encourage you to take you know, some of the questions in those prayer journals and maybe talk to your friends or your family, your gospel community, your uh, quick connect group, And talk about some of these things of the ways that you feel like, I just couldn't bring this before God. My mind thinks about these things. God doesn't want to know that. Guys, God already knows that. He already knows it. And so you start to talk to him about those things. You talk to him what's going on inside of your head, inside of your heart, the the things where you are just afraid to say to anybody else. He already knows. And he wants to walk through those things to bring us all to a place of maturity to see all things through the lens of the gospel. That he has saved us. That he has rescued us because he loves us. And we can do every moment of our lives with an awareness of him in the center of it all. We can live lives of unceasing prayer. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to trust you enough that we would understand that you love us even in how we see ourselves in the most fallen places. Because quite honestly, it's probably not the depths that you have rescued us from. We may not ever see what sin has truly done to our own lives, this side of eternity. And yet you come to us in the places that we don't even realize how messed up that we have been. And you pull us out of those pits and bring us back to yourself because of your grace. And you are with us in that moment that you saved us originally. And you are with us in this moment now. And you are with us in our moments every second from this day forward. Because you are omnipresent. And I ask that you would teach us how to make this moment and every moment ones that we spend with you, aware of your presence, aware of you walking with us, teaching us more and more 
of your grace as we step into each moment of our life. God, we thank you for saving us in all the ways that we didn't even know we need saved from and the restoration that you bring and the hope that we now get to live in. And I ask that as we leave this place today, we'd start to understand more and more that you are with us. And that moment, every moment can be Bethel. God with us, residents in our lives, walking every moment glorifying you. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen. Just take a couple moments as we run through these songs and ask God right now what things in your mind that you go through that you think he would never want to hear about, that he would never want to talk to you about, that you would never want to share with him. And then share those things with him. Because again, he already knows. But as our dad, he wants us to speak with him about those things. And then ask him to reveal to you as you start to step into, you know, this week that's coming up. That you would begin to see how to live each moment of your life with him. And recognition that he is there and he is walking with you.